Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name's Brant. And on this episode, we're discussing SST 30 Black Flag live in 84. We've been uh, listening to a lot of Black Flag lately, and uh, 1984 is a big year for our Black Flag. So, really interested to get into this release and to talk more about Black Flag on tour. Before we get into that, Brant, uh, do you have any spiels this week? Funny you should ask, Ryan. Actually, I do. I have to eat some crow. I think I'm going to have to go ahead and admit that the uh, cover art of my war is indeed a puppet. Oh, dude. Yeah. We've been getting uh, <laughs> by far the most messages we've gotten uh, out of anything we've said on this podcast from our listeners, and thanks to everybody for sending them in. Uh, we do li- we do like getting them, uh, and the general consensus is it's a puppet. Yeah, there was lots of puppet controversy. Yeah, I showed so I showed the album to my wife, who, I mean, is not a Black Flag person. I doubt she's if she's ever seen that artwork before. It it never registered with her. And I said, tell me what you see when you look at this. And she said, oh, I see what they did. It's uh, an old lady, young lady. And I I go, what do you mean? And she's like, you know, that famous um, picture, old lady, young lady, where you look at the picture and it looks like a, I can't remember. She showed it to me. It either looks like an old lady, but then you can see a, a, a young lady like in her hair or the other way around. But, oh, when you flip, when you like when you flip it upside down or something? Uh, just kind of hidden in the picture. You know what I mean? If if you yeah. if you Google it, you'll you'll be like, oh yeah, I I've seen this picture before. So she says it's supposed to look like, in her opinion, the puppet is is gripping the knife, like the thumb and like the 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 fingers of the glove are the puppet's hands gripping the knife. But then it is also uh, what I said it is, which is an arm coming into the frame, holding the knife and obscuring everything behind it. That's what she thought it was. Yeah, wow. I don't see that either. I still, I mean, which which side of the controversy was I on? Did I see a puppet? I think so. Yeah. Okay, so for me, I've always seen it as like a puppet holding the knife and... It's like, it's not me who did it, it's the puppet who did it type thing. Yeah, but where's the neck? Where's the puppet's neck? Right behind the arms, blindo. Huh? <laughs> you better stop right there. Oh, jeez. I've, o- I've just opened up the whole a whole new can of worms, that's what I've done. You're going you're gonna to blow up the internets if you don't stop talking, buddy. All right. That was cool, though. Yeah. You have anything? <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, but you know, I was thinking, uh, I, I mean, I guess I have a quick spiel. I was wondering, we did our top 10 of 2017 mm-hmm. not, too, not too long ago. Uh, I believe it was during the Subhumans episode. And this episode is a live album. And my number one album of 2017 was a replacements live album from the 80s. And I was thinking when listening to black flag live in 84 that you know i don't really like a lot of live albums a lot of live records but it also got me to thinking you know i'm just curious i have been back to several of my top 10 of 2017 probably most notably that replacements record and quicksand record i was actually just listening to that new jason lowenstein record again today in the car i'm curious out of your top 10 have you of 2017 which ones have you went back to none of them what none of them i'm (laughs) it's onward and upward for me oh my god okay i'm I'm like 20 albums deep into 2018 already okay yeah Well, well i was just curious because i mean part of my beef with top whatever lists is that it's like do they have some staying power and um, I haven't went back and listened to all of my top 10, but I've been back to almost half. Really, nothing has staying power for me anymore. Whoa. I'm j- well, 
you know, I've got the classics that I go back to and my favorites and I, I will go back from time to time to something that I know I like, but I think it's just a quantity thing for me. Yeah, I, I will, I will definitely admit to not like living with a record as long as I used to when I was a lot younger because there's so much. Yeah, same. And I used to like even a record that when I was a kid and before I could have, you know, afford a $30 CD or something like that. And I would, I would take a chance on a $30 CD or a record and it was, you know, all my money and I didn't end up liking it. I still listen to it a ton. And nowadays I definitely blow through new releases a lot more quickly. That's for sure. Yeah. It's an attention span thing for me too. <laughs> I just don't have the attention span to, you know, to, uh, listen to an album over and over and over like I used to. And I don't even really like long albums for the most part. Like even this album, I had to listen to it in, I mean, part of it is like flags, a pretty heavy listen, right? Um, but this album's over an hour long and that's too, that's too long for me. Yeah, I I was not able to listen to it in one full stretch uh, just because of you know life this week. Um, I usually try and listen to on my commute to work one record there and back, and this I tried to listen to this one of my trips and it stopped at like track fourteen or something. I still had five more to go. Yeah, it's a long one. Well, do you want to get into live in eighty four? Heck yeah. Let's do it. History lesson, part one. All right. So 1984 in the black flag world was a big year. They released a lot of records and they did a ton of touring. And I was uh, reading up for the podcast. I mean, obviously a place to look is the Henry Rollins book, Get in the Van, and you just look at the tour itinerary at the back of that book and the tour in 1984 almost takes up two full pages. It's insane. 200 plus shows or close to 200 shows. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. Attack phase, man. Here's a, so Henry has like a, usually, you know, a chapter at the start of kind of every year, maybe and get in the van well that's not really true this there's a chapter called intermission where they're he's basically like explaining what happened i guess with unicorn and stuff and he says later in 83 kira became our bass player and we started to practice every night kira Ling learned things so fast i thought we were good to go after a week greg said that we weren't <laughs> and said that we were going to practice for months until it was perfect so we did we cranked through the My War set two times a night, and uh, it just goes on from there. He finishes it to say, Our first record in a couple years, the My War album, was out, and we wanted to kill everyone. The shows were great. Kill everyone now was the agenda. Ken mode all the time. It was good to be out on the road with an album out and, excuse, and an excuse to live. Yeah, it's funny for him to say that too because when you read that chapter 1984 that that section of the book henry's not in a very good mood yeah it's funny with with get in the van it's it kind of goes south pretty quickly from like hey i'm in my favorite band to you know i hate life i hate life i'm sick of skinheads burning me with cigarettes <laughs> it's just me in the shed living with the slugs they're yeah. my friends <laughs> They're my only friends, the slugs. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're 200 plus shows and they kind of start off the year in America and then they go to Europe and then back to America, the U.S. And then they end in Canada. So it's quite the journey over 84. Do you want to start talking about that tour, Brent? Yeah, I do. So one of the coolest things for me about... Um, the 84 tours, they brought their own PA system with them. And I mean, nobody was doing that back then. You know, like I'm talking everything, monitors, 
a uh, soundboard, the whole nine yards. Yeah, the front too, right? Yep, everything. Here's what Joe Carducci says in the spray in uh, the spray paint the walls book. He says uh, we had to reinvent the record business. There was so much work to do. If you were interested in it, you just started assembling the stuff. We had to reinvent touring, and we had to rein- reinvent equipment. Dave Rat's PA system was engineered for punk rock gigs, and that meant he had to worry about kids climbing up the PA columns and jumping off of them. So he designed them so you couldn't climb up them. None of that stuff had ever been a factor before in the industry. It was like an evolutionary step. Everything had to change. And basically, like, you know, they're playing some bigger venues on this tour, like the Channel in Boston, for example, but they're also playing lots of halls and punk clubs, and they just were sick of uh, having non-existent PAs. You can't hear the vocals. Greg's excited because they're going out with his chosen bass player, Kira. Got all this new material that they've been sitting on, and a common theme you hear from the members at that time is they really wanted to, you know, I think it's Kira who says, you know, something to the effect of, we wanted to slam the audience up against the wall. Like, they really wanted to hit them with the new songs, they're closing the set with, you know, basically side two of my my war every night, and they really wanted to punish punish the audience with with their new sound, and they really needed the power and the volume to do that. Yeah, and and that was uh, it was Dave Rat, the sound man, right? Yeah, and he still uh, does sound. He has a a website that I found called ratsound.com, I think it is. And you can see some of the tours that he's done, and he's got like a list of gear on there for the final flag tour in '86, the In My Head tour. There's some neat stuff on there. And and I think like with Dave Rat, there was a couple other roadies. Like I think Mugger was around, and Tom Tricoli too. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, they were both on this for sure on the spring tour because uh, Nig Heist, Heist opened, and that's Mugger's band, and Tom Tricoli was playing in the band as well. Yeah. Tom Tricoli says in one of the books, um, he says they hadn't, Black Flag hadn't toured in a while, so there were a lot of kids who wanted to see the band, and they really brought the, the tour to, to so many places. Like you said, it started off with, uh, they call it, called it the Spring Tour, and uh, they started the tour in a bus, like an old school bus, because uh, they had this PA system. What happened was I think the bus like crapped out right away and I think they got a rider truck after that and just kind of finished it with that or like two two vans. I can't remember if they had a convoy at that point or I think near the I don't know if they had that in the spring tour near the end of the year. I think they had two like rider trucks. Yeah, but that's pretty revolutionary back then like just to have a convoy in your own PA. That's insane. Yeah. I mean, I've booked a fairly well-known Canadian venue f- as a promoter myself for close to 20 years now, and nobody st- still today, like some people will bring in their own soundboard, especially if they have a, a touring sound tech who's super particular, but I mean, nobody's bringing anything like that with them. I mean, I guess, you know, most venues that bands would be playing now have or or it's much easier to meet their requirements if you need to rent some gear or whatever but and i mean uh, you know a lot of these clubs probably didn't even have monitors back then yeah that's probably right and flag would have needed to hear each other when they were playing as much as they practiced a lot for a lot of this stuff especially when greg is going off on a crazy solo or whatever oh yeah for just for Kira and uh, Bill to do what they do, they you know Bill's got to hear the bass and vice versa, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I mentioned the Nig Heist. Apparently, the first choice for the support was a side project D Boone had called D Boone's Hammerdown. Uh, but Watt talked Mike Watt talked him out of it. Uh, obviously, he wanted to tour Double Nickels, which was a wise move. So they uh, they took Nig Heist out and Meat Puppets. And apparently Tom Tricoli recorded all of the Nig Heist shows on a, that they played on the 84 tour. And a compilation CD of that later came out on uh, Drag City Records. 
I haven't heard it myself. Apparently, there's a second disc that has just, you know, m mugger taunting the audience, basically. Yeah, I've got the, I've got the LP, like the Nig Heist LP that came out on Thermidor. That might be the same one. I'm not too sure. It's not a super amazing listen. Yeah. <laughs> you know that, um, it's funny you should mention that D Boone's hammer down. Yep. Uh, I read about that a long time ago. Like when I, I can't remember when I read it. It might've been the first time I read Stevie Chick's book and maybe that's not even that long ago, but I was like, what is that? I want to hear that. And I have, I have a CD called D Boone and friends. Okay. And it has, um, it's kind of like just some jams for a lot of the songs and kind of some solo stuff. But there is a few tracks on it called Hammer Down. And they're live tracks. I don't know, not the greatest, but it would have been cool to check out, I guess, if D Boone was playing with a different band. I really don't know much about that side project at all, other than those three tracks, I guess. Yeah. So, uh, it's fairly well documented tour, mostly on get in the van. There's some cool stuff. Have you ever been on Derek Bostrom's uh, website? DerekBostrom.net, I think it is. That's the drummer from Me Puppets. Yeah. Yeah. No, I have not. He's got some cool stuff. There's some pictures from the tour. Uh, I think he, I think they're Tom Tricoli's pictures that he took um, from the his my war tour collection there's actually a cool picture of them kind of recreating the my war cover so anyways don't, don't go there <laughs> don't go there we put that one to bed okay uh so the tour starts um in like may of 84 <laughs> there's some pretty interesting stuff in get in the van there's one part in march of 84 they play three shows in three states in 24 hours they play the Reggae Lounge in New York City uh, at an early evening show. The Meat Puppets play first, and then they split for Connecticut, and they they go set up and start that show. And then Flag plays. They tear down quickly. Mugger is apparently mowing people down to get the shit out the door. And uh, they hightail it to Connecticut, play there, load out, drive all night to Boston for a noon load-in at the Channel. Henry says in, in Get in the Van, nothing like the Dukowski booking method to get you in a lot of places in very little time. And you hear that not just from Black Flag, but, I mean, DOA was notorious for it. They would drive halfway across <laughs> the states, you know, out of their way to play a show and then drive back, you know, to play another show. There was just, the, the tour network just was, still wasn't established at that time. So it's really kind of all over the place. Yeah, you didn't have the luxury of of booking something, you know, in a in a natural logical pattern. You just you had to go where the gig was. Yeah. And I mean, when you have to think like it's uh they somebody says, I think it's Kira in one of the books says like all we were doing was setting up and driving and playing and that's it. Like two hours, two hour load in, two hour load out, you know, setting up the PA, sound checking, and then tearing it down, and then driving. So they were really, really hitting it hard. So uh, in May of May uh, May fourth of eighty four, they're back in San Francisco. That's the last entry for the spring tour, and then right away on May thirteenth, they're off to London. And they play the UK, they play Holland, Sweden, Germany. And then on June 22nd, the rest of the band flies home. And Greg and Henry stay to do some press. Whatever that entailed. From June 23rd through to July, they're home. July 15th, they're back on the road. And they're gone right, as you said. Um, they're playing uh, all through Christmas. Uh, and they're up into Canada in December, which uh, Henry talks a lot about how cold it was, and uh, they've got Vitus with them at that time. Yeah, well, on that uh, summer and fall tour, 
I think they had, you know, a lot of interesting bands playing with them. October Faction, Saccharine Trust, Tom Tricoli's Dog, I think, was gigging with them by that point. Even at their gig in Seattle, Green River opened for them. So pretty um, pretty interesting opening acts during that second half of the year. Yeah. Maybe we'll find out more when we do the October Faction episode, which is coming up fairly soon here. Um, but I think they may be formed around this time because you've got Tom Tricoli kicking around. And I had read somewhere at, at some point that Ted Falc- Falcone from Flipper was originally supposed to be in October Faction. And there is a, a mention in Get in the Van about Henry's... Uh, I think he's like at SST. This is a journal entry. He's at SST and he's like, I'm pretty sure he says that Ted, Greg, maybe Bill and uh, Tom are jamming. Yep. So maybe we'll learn more when we get to the October faction, but just something I thought of when you, when you mentioned that. What shows did they have Vitus with them? I don't, I don't remember that. I think they took them uh, up into Canada with them. Or maybe they just intersected with them. But if you read the journal entries, there's some... Henry's mentioning them, like playing shows with them in Canada. Yeah, well, they... I mean, they covered a lot of territory in that second half of the year. They basically covered the states. And then, you know, the worst time of the year in Canada. Yeah. They end up in Canada in December. There's one entry in... um, uh, Stevie Chick's book where they're talking about those the December 23rd and December 26th show and I thought you would like this in this for the same reason I did is because they talk about how they played in Winnipeg Canada on December the 23rd and uh, that's the same place where the b-side of the eight miles high uh, single was recorded I'm not sure it's the same venue but the same city anyways they woke up or, or it was after the show, and their vehicles were basically frozen solid, would not start. They had to put a bunch of space heaters under them to get them going. And this is the part I like. Their next gig was in, in, in Edmonton, Alberta, 800 miles away. Yeah. And they drove over Christmas Eve and Christmas Day from Winnipeg to Edmonton in Canada, 800 miles, and in Stevie Chick's book... He basically says, and there was nothing between Winnipeg and Edmonton. And um, that that nothing in between is where you and I grew up. Yeah. Uh, Another couple of things. I mean, that that Winnipeg to Edmonton drive, like nobody does that. That is, is, especially in the winter, is an insane drive. Yeah, no, there's, there are mentions in there um, in Stevie Chick's book and in, getting the band from Henry and Kira about how it was pretty much the worst touring experience ever. (laughs) I can believe that. Yeah, I can totally believe it. I mean, even driving that stretch in the summer is, is pretty much torture. Yeah. One other thing when you read getting the van, except, you know, other than Henry being pretty crusty, pretty mad at the world, doesn't really like anyone including his bandmates, whereas he's pretty, pretty harsh on his bandmates anyways. They had, a, um, they had a, he does not like the UK either. <laughs> no. Yeah. He, he definitely, or Canada. Had a, yeah. Had a bit bad trip <laughs> for sure. Yeah. For sure. There's a quote, uh, something I don't have it in front of me, but when they're in Vancouver where he's basically like, I hate this town. Everyone here is on heroin. <laughs> Yeah, well, they were back then. Yeah, like in the, in the punk scene. Yeah, like it's it's uh, the British Columbia Vancouver scene back then is notorious, like the punk scene for people ODing and dying yeah. back then. Still is. Um, yeah, not the punk uh, scene, but just in general. Yeah, it's a huge problem there. The one thing I noticed um, in reading, like the 1984 section of henry's book though is there's lots of mentions of hanging out and eating at denny's and mcdonald's yeah and that and that he got paid i think like each band member got paid 90 bucks a week yeah 
on tour, so it's pretty harsh. He was also doing some spoken word or talking shows when they were you know, like in between playing shows, especially in the States. Yeah, I think he does one on New Year's Eve. And um, obviously, we mentioned he's living in the shed. He also was really fighting, like some pretty serious, you know, illnesses and throat problems for like a couple of months. Yeah, I have that yeah. in my notes for the on the actual tracks that his voice just sounds shredded at times on this recording. It's, yeah, it reminds me of. I mean, I mean, what Henry does as a vocalist is. You're, you're setting yourself up for severe vocal problems for sure, especially when you're touring with no level of comfort, no sleep, and no days off. And have you heard that Rollins Band album, A Clockwork Orange Stage, I think it's called? Yep. Kind of reminds me of that. His vocals on that album are just shredded. Yeah, he definitely was going full out and, you know, couldn't talk yeah. between gigs. Uh, was pretty crusty. Um, I mentioned that before, I guess. One other um, point that I found is that part of the reason that they left L.A. like immediately after getting back from the U.K. tour was because of the cops in L.A. They're like, let's get out of here. And so they, they got Chuck to book the tour, and they were gone for the rest of the year. I think I read something also that the Olympics were coming to L.A., so they wanted to get out of Dodge because of that. Yeah. I can relate to that. Yeah, and the only other thing that uh, kind of stuck out for me was, you know, Henry, I think he he released his first book that September of that year called 20 because it had 20 pieces in it. Yeah. And uh, so that's the first of, I don't know, he's probably written dozens by now. Also, it was kind of interesting in getting the van in 1984. It sounds like Henry is hanging out with a lot of, other musicians and artists like Nick Cave. And it sounds like Nick Cave was not in that great a shape in LA back then. Yeah. Kind of strung out. Um, also, this is when Henry kind of, he's got the long hair, the soccer shorts, the tennis sneakers look. He's starting to get lots more tattoos. And he's kind of being cast as the new Jim Morrison and He's also really crusty about that. Yeah, this is the yeah, <laughs> this is the start of like Henry the Icon, though for sure. And this is yeah, this is the start of the era of Henry that I think a lot of people, you know, suggest is what ruined Black Flag, right? Yeah, those people are mistaken. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you want to talk about the actual album Live in '84? Yes, I do. All right, let's do it. History Lesson, Part 2. So, hey, Ryan, dig this. I'm thumbing through Get in the Van, writing some notes, and I see a journal entry for July 11th, 84, and he says, We're at Radio Tokyo Studios. Greg is mixing an 8-track tape of our show at Perkins Palace. I saw the sleeves of Slip It In and Family Man. They look great. And, I mean, this album came out, like, basically back-to-back -back with... We'll slip it in. Um, so I have a bootleg of that performance. And the July one? Yeah. So, yeah, because that's not this one. This one was recorded in August. Yeah, I also have a bootleg of, of this one too. Uh, with, you know, obviously it's a different mix. I'm pretty sure it's a soundboard recording. And all the banter is kept in. which they Well, there's two, there's two different mixes of this sst release the cassette mix is different than the cd mix yeah, you have a different he remixed it in like 98 maybe that's what it is it might be i don't have the cassette so maybe what i have is the cassette release but uh i've never heard the cassette unless unless this bootleg is the one that i have uh but like all the banters kept in it's definitely a different mix and the cd which i have the cd of it the mix is different from the live video that's I don't, I don't have that either, but it's on YouTube and it's definitely a different mix. So maybe like yeah. the, maybe the video is the same mix as the original cassette. I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't know either. I don't, I never bought this until it was out in CD. Like I've never heard this until after 1998 when it was released on CD Yeah. and I've, and I've never heard 
any other version, but it was released originally on cassette. There was uh, like an official SST version on VHS for a moment there. Yeah. Uh, it was also bootlegged on LP. I don't know if that's the one that you've got. It's on Terror Rex. No, I have I have a bootleg CD, but everyone should go on YouTube. We'll post it, but the, the video is really, really good. It's probably one of the better videos of the 84 tour. The sound quality on the CD is good. I, I'm now curious to hear the cassette. So the Perkins Palace show that I mentioned uh, is interesting because the set uh, the set list is a little different. Is that, is that the one in July? Yeah. Okay. Uh, actually, it's May 5th, 84 is the date of the, the Perkins Palace show, I believe. Oh, and Greg was mixing it in July. Yeah. Okay. So maybe they were going to release that one. I'm not sure, but... Uh, they don't, instead of opening with the process of weeding out, they open with obliteration, which I'm wondering if process of weeding out was maybe not written yet. Not sure. Yeah, maybe not. Obliteration was out on Slip It In around the same time as they would have been playing then. Yeah. And it lists Henry and Bill on drums for I Won't Stick Any of You. So I don't know if like Henry was like maybe beating on a, on a tom or something. It kind of sounds like maybe he is. It, instead of closing like this one closes <laughs> i mean i love it but you know it closes on i think rat's eyes and the bars maybe which weren't even really out yet or maybe had just come out uh that one closes on depression and louie louie which probably would have gone over you know way better way better oh yeah yeah, yeah you read it in Henry's journal about how a lot of people were seeing Black Flag for the first time on this tour. And a lot of people would have been hoping to see kind of the Black Flag that they had heard in recordings up until then. And then when Flag comes through and they're playing the My War stuff and the Instro stuff, that would have been hard for some of the audience members to take, that's for sure. But he, I will he, say... he's Sorry to cut you off, Ryan. He says in the book, though, I think that Black Flag is, has reached its high point. Each record sells less, and we can't outdraw shitty bands in L.A. I think that the new songs bum people out. And yeah. I, I seem to recall Joe Carducci kind of saying, like, Greg ne never outright said it at the time, but he thinks, like, they had all the... Everything basically was written, for the most part. Or the, the core of the next, you know, Slip It In was written, My War was written, uh... Lots of loose nut, and even some of in my head was already written, and that maybe you know, Greg just wanted to get it all out there and wind the whole thing down, and maybe that played a part in part in it, you know. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I mean, they didn't stay together much longer after this tour. Yeah, a couple more years. Yeah, not even barely. Yeah, uh, I. W but I, you know, I do like hearing the old black flag songs with this version of the band, like the, the Keith songs and uh, the Des songs with Bill and Kira and Henry singing. They're mm. really good. And, and I don't really, again, I'm not a huge live album guy. Um, there's a few that are very, very important live albums for me. Live in 84 black flag is not really that huge of an album for me but it's cool to hear henry sing these old songs and kira and i know during the my war episode i was kind of harsh on dale nixon on bass it's really cool to hear kira play those my war songs she definitely puts her own flavor on them oh yeah she nails them i, I mean i buy it i buy a ton of live albums uh i i own a, a lot of them and i i generally enjoy them so uh, you know i guess it's nice to hear different versions of the songs or, you know, extended versions. If it's, a, you know, a band that jams a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. There's, there's a, just a handful of live albums that I will listen to, you know, more and more, uh, like over and over. And every time I buy a live album, I'm kind of like, yeah, it's okay, but it just doesn't blow my mind. And it's really, really far and few between. You mustn't, like you mustn't be a Grateful Dead fan then. No. <laughs> because they've Hell. got about 500 live albums. Yeah, I'm definitely not. I mean, I really like a lot of Mudhoney live records. You know that uh, that 
dot no means no live and cuddly live record is uh, i mean i still listen i listen to a lot of music and i still listen to that at least a couple of times a year um there are parts in that record that i know cold um the live descendants and live all records um i will always listen to those regularly but i always find that when i buy a live record at least maybe it's just nowadays it just takes a lot more for them to sink in and have some staying power for me if it's a live record maybe it's more about taste and music between you and i i mean like just so we don't get yelled at uh, i do like the grateful dead and probably own over you know probably close to 100 live albums of theirs alone but i'm way more i would say of a classic rock fan than you are and you know that genre of music is just they put out way more live albums you know like all the 70s bands that were around in the 70s were all putting out live albums and a lot of metal bands too like i'm a big iron maiden fan fan for example and they they release they alternate uh so does rush you know a studio studio album live album studio live and i buy them all yeah well i mean i do like exit stage left you know there's there's the odd one that has some staying power for me but i don't know there's it's really far and few between you want to talk about like the tracks on the album before we talk about the tracks i also want to talk about how they actually play on this record and it was interesting to me we was talking about how they're playing some of the pre henry songs and pre bill and kira songs but what i thought was interesting was for all of the talk about how they practiced to be super tight there are moments on this record where they're really loose and it's it's almost because i mean to my ears it's because the band and I, I'm talking about Bill and Kira. They're trying to take their cues from Greg. Yep. And and they're a little off tempo. But that, and that's the Black Flag sound, though. No, I know, I, I know. But but here's the my point is that for all the talk about them being super tight and polished and pummeling, you know, there are moments of really of like looseness. You know, there are moments of like it is almost, you know, I don't want to say like, make it sound like they're making it up, but they are, they're making it up in the moment in terms of when they're taking their cue from Greg to cut into a song or when the solo is done. And that kind of stuff really caught my interest when I was listening to it. it it's stuff like that, that does kind of get me interested in a live album. It's like, oh, you know, this, they're, they are doing something different here. They're communicating on stage and they're really listening to each other and it doesn't sound perfect and it still kind of sounds interesting. So I wanted to mention that caught my attention. Yeah. So here's a few things I wrote in, in my notes about the tracks themselves. Uh, first of all, I wrote that what I call the first four years material, uh, <laughs> no surprise to anybody who has followed our, our episodes about black flag. Uh, my notes, I have written down that uh, that material sounds dated to me. And and I'm glad that it's, uh, you know, there's only a few tracks from from uh, pre-damaged era. And there's only one song from Damaged, Six Pack, and that's not even uh, a song that, you know, was originally on Damaged. That's, that's a Dez song, I believe, right? Uh, yep, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I like the older stuff they do like stick it right in the middle though and they kind of and it comes and goes really quick amongst the rest of the material yeah. maybe it's because we just did slip it in but i really like the slip it in tracks on this live album yeah and then uh kind of an add-on to what you were just saying about uh, the kind of looseness of it what i had written down is that if you played this for a square john to use a mike watt term uh, they, they would say it sounds sloppy. Uh, but to me, yeah. but to me, yes. it's, it is incredibly difficult to play the way that they're playing. I know exactly. And I mean, that's, that's maybe a better way of putting what I was, what was catching my attention is that like, they obviously were very studied 
in order to play this, but there is some almost, you know, sloppy improv moments that I, I guess a straight John would have that impression. Like, what is this crap? You know? Yeah. But I mean, if three tracks really caught my attention for that, uh, I love you forever time and rat's eyes. Listen, if you listen to the, the way the tempo fluctuates in those songs, it's pretty crazy. Like it is definitely not four, four time. Like no. they, they speed the songs up and slow them down at various times. And it's just awesome to me. It is, it is the black flag sound. Yeah. Well, their, their meter error is, it fluctuates up and down. Yeah. Uh, like when Kira starts off my war, she starts it way too fast. Right. Yeah. And it slows and it slows down. There are some songs though, that are pretty close to the, the record, like even the solo was pretty close. But so when I, w I went and looked at some live 84 footage of the band and it's interesting because, you know, Kira is, she's typically on stage left and she is pointed toward Bill and Greg. And it looks like she's looking down, but you can tell that she's watching to see what happens. And Bill is you can tell he's kind of looking out the corner of his eye at Greg to see how it's working. Um, very interesting to see them perform. Yeah, and if you watch a lot of that footage, you can see, um, just to get into the tracks a bit more, you can see Tom Tricoli is doing backing vocals, typically on Slip It In and Black Coffee. You can also see Henry in some wicked mesh t-shirts. <laughs> yeah. Here's a, here's a few more notes I just wrote about um, the uh, tracks on, on this particular album. My Ghetto, I like how you can hear Greg switch his guitar on at the beginning of the song. I don't know where it is, but I remember reading a thing. It might be in one of those books we were mentioning last podcast, actually, where uh, the West Memphis, from the West Memphis 3 tour. Actually, I think that is where it's from. It might be uh, Henry talking about uh, Mother Superior. The Rollins, or AKA the Rollins band at that at that time, and they get they basically get Greg's rig in, and his guitar, like not the actual guitar, but the same gear that he used, and you know the guitar player Jim, I think his name is his name is turns it on, and you hear that gin feedback, and Henry is like, I just got goosebumps or yeah. whatever. I'm paraphrasing what he says, but I'm pretty sure it's in one of, in that book that we mentioned, and uh, that you know. You can hear it at my ghetto on my ghetto because he's got the volume knobs taken off and he's just got a switch put in. There's there's <laughs> Greg's guitar is either on all the way or it's off. Am I recalling correctly? Like I think at one point Greg had like his patch cord just soldered right into the jack. Yeah, maybe. I think I remember reading that, and he obviously played. I think maybe not exclusively, but his most famous guitar would be that that clear plexiglass i think it's a dan armstrong guitar it's all duct taped up it's pretty awesome yeah. one thing i noticed i noticed ryan uh when i listened to this is slip it in you can hear a slight change in the sound quality about halfway through the track did yep. you notice that i don't know if it's yeah. a splice or maybe they had to switch the tape or something i don't know yeah it seems to get a bit clearer yep. almost i also wrote down that uh, Henry changes the lyrics on a few songs like Nervous Breakdown just slightly that's about all I wrote down about the tracks you want to talk about the actual like the the packaging and stuff yeah so let's look at the the cover art I mean it's I guess it's a pretty iconic image or I mean there are a lot of photos of Black Flag in 84 of this era and maybe not this particular image but this look is pretty iconic for Black Flag. It's it's yeah. got um, Henry with his shirt off, long hair, the short shorts. He's got his tattoos. He started lifting weights, starting to get pretty ripped. Greg is in full freak out, playing guitar with the duct tape on that Dan Armstrong. His like if you look at the bottom, it's hard to see. But down where the switches and everything would be on the guitar, it just looks like just a big wad 
of duct tape on the bottom almost yep. he's playing the you know button up shirt the the regis wear yeah. <laughs> yeah. look at the uh i mean those have got to be his guitar cabinets i don't know what those are are those like six tens on their side two of them with the black flag bars on them yeah those aren't those aren't four ten cabinets i think those are six ten cabinets yeah that is insane and uh bill is in the back and he's rocking the beard at this point looking uh, like yep. a big hairy neanderthal and kira's kira's rocking the rick she's rocking the rick and she's got the wristband on which you must have on when you're playing a rickenbacker with any sort of gusto because it will shred your wrist up uh, did you look up the cassette there's a different photo on the on the cover of the cassette i saw it i do i just don't have it handy what does it look like that's uh, just a picture of the band it's a cool picture have you ever heard the cassette no, never. Like I said, unless it's this bootleg that I have. Yeah, I bet you could figure that out on YouTube. Like, listen to, you yeah. know, type in Live in 84 cassette and compare it against what you've got. But now I'm super curious to hear that. Yeah, so as we mentioned, it, it this originally came out on cassette only and was remixed, remixed by Greg for CD in 1998. Yeah, I bet you the cassette, you the could, cassette probably goes for like 300 bucks or something now. Well, it re it was re-released on cassette in '98, also. Really? With the same, yeah, with the same cover as the oh, CD. Oh, but with a different mix. I'm assuming the same mix as the, the as the yeah, CD. as the '98. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like, you know, there are two versions of the cassette. Is the point? A couple of uh, interesting things. It, I like I said, I looked up the artwork for the original cassette online, and this. So my CD says. Uh, Black Flag is managed by BMC, and then there's a, a P.O. box, not not the SST P.O. box. And the, the, the cassette that I looked at online says uh, Black Flag is managed by Nixon Management. <laughs> <laughs> so, there you Must go. Must be Dale's and, Brothers Management Company. Maybe, hey? And then the other cool thing about both of them say this um where does it say here uh live engineering steve corbin why do i know that name well that's mugger oh is that his real name yeah so i don't know if he was like doing front of house or why it says that but interesting okay yeah and then uh mixed at radio tokyo with greg bill and ethan james again pretty bare bones package though there's not a heck of a lot going on it's just a lot of green yeah but i mean there's there's not a lot going on in most of the black flag packages except for you know everything went black in first four years i don't know much about the stone nightclub but i have a few other albums that were recorded there in that dead dead kennedy's mutiny on the bay has some some of that was recorded there yeah and I have a Rocky Erickson album that was recorded there as well. What year is that Rocky one? Oh, I'd have to go pull it off the shelf. Oh, the it's 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 Rocky and the Explosives. So oh, okay. The 70s. That would have... Yeah, it's called, Hall it's called Halloween. Oh, I've got that. I didn't yeah. know that that was recorded then. That has That is... Most of his live stuff is kind of rough, but that one's got an okay selection on it. Yeah. Ballot result? I think so. And I'm going to let you pick because you always screw me on these. <laughs> Ballot result. Let's, uh, let's do it this way again. Which song do you think I would pick? Uh, well, like I said, I, every time that you say, you know, go ahead and pick, Ryan, I start picking. And then you start just convincing me that it has to be something else. <laughs> the last episode, though, on Slip It In, I wanted black coffee. And you counseled me against that and said it must be Slip It In. So <laughs> I don't know I don't know what you are gonna pick, but I still want black coffee. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pick. You pick. I want forever time. Why? Why? I've just I've always loved that song. It's I've, I could have put that in on my war just as easily as my war. Henry's vocals are awesome. Yeah. The time signature is awesome. The guitar riff is amazing. 
it's just a killer song i've always loved it very cool black flag live in 84 that's it you're not going to argue with me i get forever time i'm not i'm i'm not even sure i'm ever going to pick a ballot result again because you always screw me <laughs> just on black flag i'm getting so pumped about next week's episode husker do new day rising one of my favorite of all time husker do only rivaled by flip your wig and i'm afraid to pick ballot result next week because you're gonna screw me well i already know i already know which one i want for yeah that exactly one, but, uh, exactly i'll def- i i'll give you my word right now i'll defer to you no that's okay i want to stay friends so it'll have to uh it'll have to be you <laughs> anyways that is next week we're gonna get back into some husker do which is awesome and you know what we've got after husker do minuteman and then things start getting crazy and things start getting I'm look I'm looking forward to that Ryan. Yeah. Like, you know, I I love Black Flag and all, but uh looking forward to ch- talking about some new bands. Yeah, we're going to start getting different and weird and like coming up we've got DC3, really looking forward to that. October Faction. Uh we've got Overkill who we uh, met long ago. We've got some more Meat Puppets, Daz Demon. Worm, some more Vitus. Uh, we're getting into some very cool stuff, so stick with us. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. <laughs>